Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Tessa, and today on our panel, we have Alex. Hello. Ari. Hello. And our special guest for this episode is Oscar Spencer. Hi, Oscar. Hello. hello. How's it going? How are you? I'm doing quite well. Best I can be. <laughs> That's good. It's been a while since we've had you on the show. So would you mind introducing yourself for new listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So as said, uh, my name is Oscar Spencer. I am a, or at least I primarily used to be a uh, front-end engineer. Uh, I've been doing Vue.js for a little over three years. Uh, I was a React developer before that. These days, I'm mostly working on WebAssembly things, which is a lot of fun, but I'm still a JavaScript boy at heart, so <laughs> I'm here for it. Nice. Seems like you're always moving to new targets. You know, always trying to do what I can. Just kind of keep moving along, even if the world doesn't want to around me. Oh, yeah, that's a mood. <laughs> yeah. So very important question for all of you. What sound does your work Slack make when you get a new message? I'll go first. Plink, because I like it short and sweet. Default, because I'm basic. A monster. I was just thinking a monster. <laughs> I thought that's what he was going to add in the sentence. Yeah, that's me. And yeah, for me, uh, we use Discord as our, as, as our method of communication. So, so it's just sorry. the Discord sound. Nah, it's the best. <laughs> You're going to make it your ringtone. You just work to the sound of the Discord alert. Yeah, exactly. Play on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I actually don't have a problem with the default sound, but this time I changed it to, like, I don't know, it's called magic or something. It's like, room. And I was like, you know, even if I'm not always, it's not always a happy surprise to get a Slack message, at least Slack can make it sound like it is. So, but speaking of happy, I guess it's not really a surprise. Happy things in view, Oscar, you are very passionate about the composition API. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. When I look at the Composition API, I really just see a very bright future for Vue, especially when we look at Vue 2. And, you know, we said to ourselves, how could this get better? <laughs> this is already such a nice, beautiful way to develop our applications. You know, we can't even go up from here. But then the Vue team, they really did it to us, uh, bringing out the Composition API and solving the problems that we didn't even realize were too bad until someone pointed out, oh, hey, actually, you got a lot of boilerplate here. Or, hey, you're not reusing this code as much as you could. And as soon as we see that, we're like, oh, man, yeah, the Composition API is really where it's at. So absolutely, I'm a fan of the Composition API. I'm just going to get right into the, the hard questions here. Absolutely. So you say that the Composition API provides a bright future. Does that bright future include the Options API? Absolutely. And I feel like this is something that a lot of people always end up asking. They feel like, oh, the Options API, is it, is it going to go away? And the, the truth is, is like we're going to have the Options API. And in fact, like when you think about the Composition API, in some senses, it's an extension of the options API because we have, you know, those new options. We have the setup option. We have, you know, these other new options in the options API to set up our components, right? So, yeah, I don't think the options API is going to go anywhere, at least not for quite some time. I could see some folks trying to get really, really pure with all their components and say, oh, you are not ever allowed to use a, a data option like, in your life. It's like everything must be composed. Like, if my components are not purely set up functions, I don't want it. I, I can see someone going there. But I don't think that's what we really want to get out of the Composition API. I think the Composition API is meant to help us use the Options API better, allow us to bring in lots of different code reuse. So all that business logic that we have that we maybe were using mixins for, for example, so these really big <laughs> options objects that we were bringing into all of our components, instead, we're taking and extracting it out and then nicely bringing it in piece by piece. I think that's how we should really be thinking about the Composition API, you know, helping us that's compose. That's the best answer that I've heard so far, making the oh, Options thanks. API better. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Ari, I have an important question for you. Do you think that the composition API, like another view thing we talked about a few episodes ago, is another example of someone getting nerd sniped? Ooh. Probably. Probably technically how that originated. 
<laughs> I'm just Perfect. assuming it was a response to hooks if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah. I think it was originally called view hooks, but I could be wrong. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I think in like some of the original prototypes and stuff it was called view hooks. That sounds correct. I think also it's one of the this is another example of like don't don't show Evan cool things because he'll get distracted pretty easily. I think you're right about that for sure. Yeah, because I remember uh, Divya and I were prepping for our talks for ViewConf at ViewConf, obviously not only at ViewConf. Well, maybe it's not obvious because, you know, sometimes this, that's not the case, but also prep, continuing to prep for our talks at ViewConf. And Divya was going to talk about hooks. And then Evan goes on stage and announces that it's no longer hooks. It's like the composition API. <laughs> like, oh, oh no. no. So, yeah, I think I think that's what happened. Yeah. Anyway, why does it mean such great things for the future? Yeah, I think overall, <laughs> there's, you know, the old programming concept that we've all come to know and love, uh, you know, dry, like don't repeat yourself. And essentially, that's everything that the composition API is. It's, you know, how do we build large scalable applications? Because like when you go through like your first view tutorial, you put together your your little app and it's perfect and amazing. And even as you start building out your own apps and they get more complex, you know, it's still nice and easy to maintain and manage. It's not too big. But as soon as, you know, you've had this application that's been around two, three years, all of a sudden you've got these components that start to grow to be absolutely massive, like huge, ginormous components. Maybe sometimes you are able to extract some of it out into smaller components. But a lot of the times we find ourselves needing lots of different pieces of data from different little components. And that's where things get tricky because the question then becomes, how do we integrate these things together? And then, you know, we end up using mixins for that, right? And so with the composition API, you know, we're taking all these bits of, of business logic, all these different little bits, and we're just creating these nice small ways. And also just as a quick aside, just testing these things, you can take a small little bit of logic Right? You, know, you have your one little composable that's just simple, does one thing, you can easily test it. And so you know when you're bringing all these things together, your application as a whole is going to continue to work. And so when you're starting to look at it you know, this way of like, oh, hey, I can break down my application into these small manageable chunks that are easily tested, then yeah, I'm building that large production grade, production scale application. I'm confident is actually going to work you know, when I'm deploying it and it's going to be everywhere. It's not like, oh, I have this 5,000 line view file and like, I'm pretty sure it's pretty good because I look at it every day, you know, you know, not being in that I've situation. Never. Maybe if you talk it to another coworker and ask them, does it look good? Then you can be like double confident. <laughs> right, exactly. What if you don't have oh. another one? Ugh. Oh, no. <laughs> With the Slack thing, it's that you save it as my component view and then you send it. And then they send it back as my component view. So you have to save it as my component dot or my component dash two dot view. No, you save it as like, their component dot view. Come on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then <laughs> you make modifications and you send it back to them. And then it's like final, and then it's like final final, and then it's like final final two, and then it's like final final three. No, final final two for real this time. Yeah, for real this time. And like, then you yeah. just start appending. Why would we ever have Git? Though I did have a series of commit messages recently that were, yes, essentially, it works now. No, really, for real. I swear, this is the last one. <laughs> That's what most of my commit messages look like most of the time. And then I like squash, I try to figure out how to squash a lot of those so that it doesn't show up later. Oh, I rebase so no one will ever know. <laughs> I still don't understand rebasing, so I just don't. Oh, it's. I don't either. I, well, I didn't actually. <laughs> Because I feel like you always start the interactive rebase thing, and then it, it just never lets you exit. <laughs> but one team I was embedded in, somebody told me that they had a rebase flow where everybody does all their changes, and then they squash and rebase so that like if multiple people worked on it, like on a, a, on a single pull request, like let's say Ari made three commits and I made five commits and then Ari made another two commits, like I would squash Ari's two to be one, and then mine to be one, and then Ari's first five or whatever to be one so it's just one from ari one from me one from ari so you don't lose the history but you also don't have a lot of extra commits and i was like 
I don't know how to use interactive rebase. Someone on the team was like walking through it with me because I tried it several times and it didn't work. Another team in another company had also wanted me to do the same thing, but they also didn't know how to rebase. So you're trying to figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. At the end of the session where we got nowhere, I found out that the team actually doesn't have a convention of rebasing. And I was like, why? But somehow from that experience, I learned how to rebase okay. I think that's absolutely amazing. And actually, just speaking of rebasing, uh, there's something that I enjoy so much about rebasing that, you know, you've suddenly given me a platform to share this with the world. <laughs> when, <laughs> when doing an interactive rebase, um, you know, there's all the different little commands you can choose from, yeah. you know, like pick or reword or whatever. You know, my most commonly used one is fix up. And of course you can. And so fix up essentially squashes this commit into the last one and discards its commit message. And so instead of putting the, you know, the whole world, uh, the whole word, you can put just the first letter. And so I'd laugh every single time I press F for commit. I'm just like paying my respects to all of these commits you did amazing for me. Like, yes. And then they all are flushed away. And it's incredible. Nice. <laughs> so before we move on, I have a quick question because you're talking about how Composition API makes Vue more scalable. And scalability is like a big word in the Vue world and the React world. I feel like I don't hear it that much in Angular, I think because it's always been seen as like the enterprise solution. And it sounds like you don't mean like Vue 3 makes it easier for you to make like really long boy components. So can you talk a bit more about scalability? Yeah, absolutely. Largely what I mean when I say scalability is the ability for your team to scale in building this application. I'm talking about being able to manage that project because we've all been in these massive projects where there's just tons and tons of codes and tons of files. And it's hard, especially like think about the last time you've onboarded a new engineer onto your view app, uh, like your peer view two app. Like, yeah, they can get the hang of it, but it's going to take them a little while. They're going to realize that, oh, hey, you know, in this component, we're, you know, doing this data stuff over here in this component. We're doing similar data stuff, but it's not exactly the same, you know. And so when you're looking at the composition API and you can actually start extracting all of these pieces out, then you realize like, oh, hey, when you have that new engineer onboarding on your team, you say, oh, hey, yeah, this is our composables folder. And so any bit of business logic that we have in our application, it exists in this folder and you can find it. And if you need to change anything, if you need to add anything new, it goes right here. And they're all small little bits. And hey, when you're building a brand new component, it's just about picking and choosing the little bits of information that you need or the little bits of logic that you need for your component and pulling them in. And the other huge thing about this is once we start doing that, our components become largely presentational. It's largely like, hey, actually, this component's really about displaying the data. I'm really just bringing in some logic that's written elsewhere, and I don't care. And we're just going to display like what this data looks like. So what you're saying is, is that at that point, you'd really probably want to see the template first uh, at the top of the file, right? That's, that's why sort of you what you're were. Saying? That's why you were smiling <laughs> like a demon for the last five minutes. Are you serious? Alex, I'm not even going to say it was nice having you. Bye. <laughs> it was not nice having you. The thing is, I think that's true because it's like, yeah, when I come into no. the component, it's no. Shortest episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> but like, seriously though, when it comes down to the point where your component is really just a setup function, and you're saying use this, use that, use this, use that, you know, I don't necessarily need to see all of that. And really what I care about, like if I care about those composables, I can go look at those composables. Really, I'm, I actually do just want to see the markup. <laughs> I want to see the markup, like what is this, you know, component displaying? Is it doing any special presentational logic? Now, you know, that stuff becomes a lot more interesting. And, you know, stuff like that, that's where the options API is still incredibly useful, right? Like if you have some logic that's specific to presenting some data rather than, you know, some particular business logic, right? So I think, you know, there's definitely room to see some templates first, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's going to float people's boats in different ways. Yeah, I will say, even though uh, I've been script first for like the last couple of years now, sorry, time flies, it's been more than two years. Oh, my God. As a primarily like UI library type developer, 
that was a really big reason it was hard for me to give up template first, even though the other arguments made sense in terms of like the ergonomics for flipping between template and script and template and style. And, you know, if I was working with a lot of components where like I needed to see the API of the component right away, it made sense. For me, what I really cared about is looks. Like I'm a super shallow developer. Okay, maybe not, but like I liked knowing what the thing looked like (laughs) before I thought about the data. Like they work together for me instead of being completely separate. And so letting go of that was really hard. Yeah, I definitely hear that. Because like when I think about, you know, these components in general, like if I have all of my logic extracted away really nicely, it does sort of beg the question, you know, does the developer reading this code already know what these composables are giving us? Like, do we know the shape of the data? Do we know what it looks like? Because yes, reading a template with no context whatsoever (laughs) can be somewhat difficult. But if you know what these composables are doing, then, you know, it can be fun. But all in all, I think it, it really comes down to your individual development team. And, you know, if, you know, you've got one or two <laughs> uh, engineers and they're like, I really need it to be this one way, then it probably will end up being that way. And like, that's fine as long as everyone agrees on, you know, what's in your file. Plus, VS Code for me remembers the like position I was in most of the files anyway. <laughs> so. Okay, that's like the real problem here. Why can't VS Code just know when I need to look at the template first, because I'm like, okay, what is this component? I'm trying to understand. And then when I already know what the component is, and I just want to know like the names of the props it's expecting, and then show me the script tag first. Like, You know, TBD on if that's super duper possible, but it is open source. Like we can go, we can go patch this in if we ever figure out how to know exactly what you want to see. <laughs> Make a feature request for a GitHub Copilot or whatever it is, where it's, able to like predict what you're wanting to do you type in a couple of words and it's just like okay cool here you go just actually that'd be pretty dope (laughs) because it's like yeah oh yeah clearly i'm looking at this data so when i swap to this other file i want to see that data (laughs) there is an extension i don't remember the name that lets you split up the single file component into like multiple windows so it's still the same file but you can look at everything at the same time which i think sounds pretty neat haven't tried it yeah i've I've seen I'm that. I'm going to need you to remember the name. <laughs> uh, I saw it on Twitter. Try searching view extension. <laughs> <laughs> that should go well. Yeah. I think I saw it through Anthony, so I'll ask him. So with the composition API, then, is it better... Let's say that we've made all of these composables. Yes. And you're wanting to kind of reuse some business logic. Do you have a preference as to whether you pull in the composable item and simply like dot, dot, dot everything that comes out of it into the return method? Or do you, would you want to split it out as like const curly bracket thing name, thing name, thing name equals composable? That's a fantastic question. I've personally done both. And I think there's pros and cons to both. I think overall, like, yeah, if you're just getting the results of your composables and you're just splatting them all together, the nice thing about that is if you're, you know, intimately aware of what these composables are doing and what values they return, then that is really nice. Because when you're in your templates and you see these particular variable names, you know what that thing is. You know the shape of that data. Like you understand what's going on, right? You know, if, you know, (laughs) we get some results of our composables and we're doing a little bit of data munging or whatever, (laughs) then like, yeah, uh, it can be a little bit harder to follow. But sometimes that does mean that we're going to have a better experience working within like, you know, one particular template. Or something like that. So I think it's going to be largely situational on what you should do. I don't think you should outright ban one or the other. Um, I think they both have their cases. And of course, another thing too is right when we're composing composables, like into like our, our mega composable before we bring that into you know another component. Essentially, you know, we're data munging there and we're sort of creating new names and whatnot. And so it might be a little bit hard to realize the dream of and actually. <laughs> you made me realize something here. 
that actually, like, you know, we're constantly trying to get information out of developers' heads and into code or into documentation or whatever. It's probably a bad thing if I'm reading through a template and I just have all this domain knowledge of these composables and exactly what the, the types are and whatnot. So that could be a bad thing. Yeah, as you were talking about composables, consuming composables, I was like, oh, I'm getting reducer vibes and like getting goosebumps. <laughs> like, oh, I left that behind. <laughs> but yeah, that's a great point. That's something I'm wondering as well, because I think earlier you were talking about how one of the great things about the composition API is it makes your code more dry. But mm -hmm. I think that was probably one of the initial upsides of mixins as well. So what do you think composition API is doing differently or how is it going to avoid turning into the same massive Katamari thing that the mixins <laughs> were? Don't even get me started. So the thing is, right, is because, yeah, when you, you know, have... Like when you start building your view application, you're like, oh man, I really have like all this logic and I want to reuse it in this other component. And then you're introduced to the concept of mixing. You're like, actually, like this is pretty good. This is way better than any other like frameworks and mixins that I've ever used. And like that's true. These mixins are are pretty dang good, you know, comparatively. But as and this is always the problem, as your applications grow, that's where you start seeing the problems come in. One of the most unfortunate things about mixins is that they can be reliant on data that's defined in the consuming component. And you may have seen this happen in your applications, maybe not, but a lot of times, like you'll see someone write in a mixin, like, oh, this dot some property that is not <laughs> at all, <laughs> it's not created in this mixin, it's nowhere to be found. But because it's a mixin, when a component consumes that, if your component provides that value, it's going to work just fine. And then all of a sudden, you have these mutually recursive like view instances. And that yields a big problem. The moment you try to refactor that code, it's an absolute nightmare. I've had to do it. It's bad. Sometimes you don't realize you're doing this because sometimes, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you all have had this development flow, but, you know, maybe something's not working a little right and you do whatever it takes to make your code work right. And then you're like, oh, once it's all done, we'll get it cleaned up before we put up the PR. And like your cleanup doesn't end up being as extensive as you wanted it to be. <laughs> and like, that's how these things happen. Where like, yeah, you, you have the, this mixin that's reliant on the component that's going to consume it. Anyway, the huge thing with the Composition API is it's impossible to do that. <laughs> you can't somehow reference a value that you don't have access to, right? It's either you're getting this value from another composable, you're getting it from the outside world, but there isn't a way for you to try and rely on something that a component will give you unless you're accepting it as a parameter to your composable or something like that. And I think that's fantastic. Like it helps avoid a whole class of bugs that <laughs> maybe you weren't even aware of like, up until this point of, of little things like that happening. And another one too is looking at like the namespacing issue as well. Like the fact that you could have maybe seven, eight components that all you know consume this one mixin, and you go to edit the mixin and you decide, oh, I'll just add this property onto this mixin, not realizing that one of those eight components that consumes it also uses that property name. And, you know, you cause a chain reaction of issues. And like, this is just stuff that the Composition API doesn't allow you to do. It's like just a much more professional version of, you know, trying to reuse information, uh, reuse data and logic throughout your application. And so like, <laughs> maybe you can hear uh, <laughs> how I feel about mixins <laughs> after having the Composition <laughs> API. Uh, but it's like, yeah, happy. It's, yeah, it's overall that like, yeah, the Composition API just gets rid of a whole host of issues that you have with mixins. And in fact, like mixins were like my only complaint in like Vue 2. And the fact that like <laughs> Vue 3, it's like, yeah, you just don't got to use those anymore. It's that's like a dream come true. Not having had much experience at all with the Composition API, I'm still a bit skeptical because I remember 
a common nightmare of mine was, uh, I don't remember if you could import mixins into other mixins, but you'd essentially have a mixin that was, yes, okay, Alex is nodding, yeah, a mixin that was importing like a bunch of other mixins that were importing a bunch of other mixins. And also they all had generic names because you got to keep everything generic, which meant that there were multiple files with the same name, but it's okay because they're in a folder. So that shows you what the thing is. And they all also have like very generic properties. So it's like, oh my God, when you're debugging and like the data is wrong and you see it in the view dev tools and trying to hunt it down, it's such a nightmare. So when you're like, oh yeah, with composables, you can like import other composables. It's great. And I'm like, mm, doesn't sound great to me. <laughs> I think, you know, seeing it in action might help you a lot mm. because <laughs> if you think about, you know, way back in the day of like just vanilla JS and like maybe you have like some little tiny file that just like exports one function that does one thing. It's really a matter of like when you're composing composables, because composables, what are they? They're just functions that return references that are reactive, right? Are functions that can give our computed or, or whatever, right? And so essentially you're just calling these functions, getting some values and creating a new function that's essentially re-exporting these values. However, you don't get into any of the namespacing issues, right? Like you're not going to get into that, oh, all of a sudden I've got these composables with the same name. Like, of course you could do that, but there isn't a real reason to. Because the idea is when you compose two things, you get something new, right? Because like, let's say, <laughs> let's say we wanted to have a view component that, you know, made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? So we might have a composable <laughs> that's like, use peanut butter and another composable use jelly. And like, maybe we want that PB and J composable, right? And so the PB and J composable is like, I'm going to use peanut butter, I'm going to use jelly. And then I'm going to export use PB and J, right? And so it's, you know, since they're composing and building off of each other, that's where it's like, you see your application sort of rising from all of these little pieces. And I think that's where the beauty of the composition API comes in. It's like it, you know, keeps you from shooting yourself in the foot the same way you would with mixins. Especially like, yeah, I never want to see anyone ever, ever <laughs> bringing mixins into mixins. Like, just please, like, don't ever do that. And like the fact that the composition API is like, no, we're going to import regular old functions, regular old references, and you know, do what we got to do with them. It's like leaning on JavaScript a lot more. And like when you look at like React hooks and like the composition API, really what they're doing is they're just leaning on vanilla JS far more. It's like, yeah, let's write plain functions, right? <laughs> let's use plain objects. Like let's not make everything super duper complex. And that's how you see these libraries getting a lot faster as well. Like when you say, oh yeah, <laughs> why can you update this property on the page 10,000 times in a second? Well, yeah, because it's just a regular old plain JavaScript function. There's nothing special about it, right? Um, so yeah, I think overall it's don't be too scared of the composition. It was definitely designed with composition in mind. It was designed, you know, for you to have your composables consuming composables and not, you know, blowing up the world and being fairly easy to follow as well. Yeah, at a previous job I had a code base where we we were using mixins and the pattern that we got into to try and like add some like safety to it so that you'd have to like know what was going on is that we would do things where it was like, okay, cool. Mixin is going to refer to a property that you've already defined on your component, but you have to provide the name of that property, right? Like, so we were doing like functions that would make objects that would have functions that would reference a property on a thing. And like, it was just it's like just lots of weird. safer. <laughs> Yeah, it was weird scoping issues that we were getting into when you didn't do it right. And <laughs> yeah, I just helped, never tried but to it also mix, didn't. mix in data with component data. I was like, it's only going to be for generic functionality as much as possible. Otherwise, I'm going to find I'm just going to do good old copy and paste. Like Dan Abramov says, sometimes try is bad. <laughs> I think like when I think about it, I don't know. We just want to keep composing stuff. Like the huge thing about like composition is it just keeps you from shooting yourself in the foot. It's like, hey, we want to allow you to do everything that you're doing with mixins, but in, in like a sane, thought through way. Because um, it's like, yeah, as you're saying, you know, teams have had to come up with their own concepts and ideas of how to not shoot themselves in the foot, and ultimately you end up doing it anyway, right? And so, yeah, it's just like it's kind of just like view all grown up. <laughs> so that's really what it is. Yeah, so this is bringing up a question that I've had, which is what do you think 
is, and of course we're generalizing here, easier to teach to a beginner developer? Options API or Composition API? Options API every single time, right? And I think that that goes into sort of what Ari and I were chatting about earlier is that, yeah, Options API isn't going away. Like it's not going away. I think that's the beautiful start to anyone's view journey is like, yeah, learn how to make a basic little view component. And then when you get to the point that you're like, oh, hey, I want to reuse this logic, you know, it's not too difficult to pull logic out into a composable. It's actually pretty darn simple. And like, I think going through that process as a developer that's new to Vue is going to help you understand like the purpose of composables. Like, why do we have them in the first place? I think like the same way that <laughs> if I were uh, teaching someone React, I don't want to teach them hooks right away. <laughs> like, you're going to scare the poor developer. You're not going to make them write like a class component, though, are you? <laughs> no, but like simple functional components, mm-hmm. right? Like, we can do like some nice, easy, you know, stuff first, and then we can start building on these other concepts, you know. And yeah, I think that's exactly what it should be for Vue. It's like, yeah, teach options API first and then show like, okay, now that you understand this, you understand how Vue works, let's start getting into composables. Because to be fair, as much as I'm, you know, saying composables are amazing, there are some slight like caveats that you have to understand. Like you have to understand reactivity in Vue quite a bit better than you did the mixins, right? Because uh, it's like, oh, hey, uh, you can make a composable and mess it up where you've got this value that's not reactive and Vue's not responding to changes in that value. And that's like, okay, you have to understand that, oh, I need to create a ref for this. Oh, I need to create like some new computed value for this. And that's not going to be clear to someone who's you know brand new to Vue. So I think teaching that options API first, letting them understand how Vue approaches reactivity in general, and then start saying like, all right, now <laughs> we've got this reactivity API and that you know does all this stuff or whatever is I think the way to to play it. So yeah, I guess you know none of us did talk through uh, the learning curve <laughs> for the composition API, <laughs> but there is one. It does exist. Yeah, I was gonna you say know. I haven't I haven't tackled it yet, so there's nothing yeah. to talk about. <laughs> I think it's similar though, in a sense, to like. Like if you're teaching somebody view, you're not going to be like, all right, let's start off with mixins, right? Like it's that same <laughs> yeah. thing. Like yeah. you're going to be like, okay, first you need to learn how to write a view component and what view is and what we're doing with view and see how it works. And then, you know, the composition API is like, all right, so you want to make a framework on top of view. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, my impression is, and It's funny, actually, because I feel like some of the people that I saw most excited for Composition API are maybe like newer to Vue, but very into React developers who don't really understand reactivity, but they're like, oh, yeah, this makes more sense. And so I feel like, especially in the context of um, we were talking to somebody who was relearning Vue again for the first time a couple weeks ago, and I feel like they have, at least at the surface level, kind of different audiences where... The options API is maybe for somebody who like understands like JavaScript data structures and stuff. And then they're like, okay, here's how the thing works. Like you don't use this in the template and the data is like where all the stuff comes from. And as long as you accept that stuff, it's okay. If you're the top of per- type of person that maybe has at top of mind in working memory all the time, like how context works, how this works, how that works, then maybe you're going to be annoyed all the time at all of the magic that Vue is doing because you can't just accept that that's the thing and then be like, okay, now that I've accepted the rules, it's very simple. And then with the options API, I feel like it still has a lot of Vue-specific rules and things that you have to learn. But for the type of person that is always thinking like, oh, I want to really be doing just like pure JavaScript stuff, like it's a lot more comforting from that angle. I could be wrong, but that's been my impression of, you know, general opinions on the two of them. Yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty much right. Like, yeah, the <laughs> I would describe the options API as cozy. It's mm, real that's cozy. That's a great word for it. Like, if you know you some JavaScript, like, you know, if you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm JavaScript. I'm JavaScripter over here. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and like, you come to view for the, you know, for the very first time. And you see the options API, you're like, I know how to write an object. (laughs) Like, I got this, right? (laughs) Like, I'm about to kill this whole app. 
Like I'm in this company's whole career. Like, you know, you're like, that's how you're feeling with the, the options API, right? And like, yeah, that's, but yeah, I mean, I see like, if you're like, you know, this crazy React hooks person, you're going to be like, something's wrong. <laughs> like, I, need to, I need to define lots of little functions. <laughs> I, if I'm not calling something, you know, that, that doesn't have the word use in it, something's messed up. Or a handle. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like, I, I definitely see that. But yeah, like options API is super duper cozy. And I think, yeah, it's like, you know, we should start with the cozy stuff. And then when we need something that's a, a little less cozy, uh, but, you know, keeps us in check, you know, yeah, we can start reaching for composition API stuff. I love that description because it's true. I don't always feel this way, but once I get into the flow of making a UI element with the options API, I do feel legit cozy. Yeah, it's like all like nice and contained. Like ugh, when I write a, a nice little computed, I'm like, oh yeah, look at this computed. Ugh, it does the caching for me. Ugh. Like I'm like, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I'm. It's cozy. It's nice, right? Yeah, I think it's good. I'm not telling you what to compare for multiple renders. <laughs> so I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not throwing shade at use effects for anyone who's wondering. Yeah. <laughs> so when would you use the options API and when would you be like, okay, this is where I need to pull in the composition API? The moment your brain says, Ooh, I want to mix in. That's when you <laughs> should go use <laughs> that's when you should go use the composition API. Yeah, it's literally any time that you say, because like, yeah, doing composition just for the heck of it isn't really going to get you anything. Like, well, I mean, maybe it can. Like, if you really want all of your components logic to like just be in like one function, you can make that happen with the composition API. So if that's your coding style, that's gonna be nice. But other than that, you're not getting a huge benefit. Like the huge benefit of the composition API is being able to share that logic. So it is like, you know, quite seriously... When you're like, I've got these multiple components, maybe similar views, but like maybe let's say you've got like two different sides of your app, but you've got this data and like the logic's the same. It's like, yeah, let's reuse that. Let's pull that out into a composable. And then, and it feels nice because in your component, when you're like, uh, like if you have a weather app or something, like you're just saying like, oh yeah, use forecast. Like, yeah, like that's easy. It's like, <laughs> I didn't have to go do write some fetch. <laughs> I don't got to go like hit Axios or something. I'm just like, oh, yeah, use the forecast. And now I have forecast data and I'm a happy boy. Like, that's what I am, right? And that's how we should be thinking about these things. It's like, you know, I want to use this in more than one place. Let's make it composable. And like, Do you think there's one other use case, though, for when you don't ever intend on reusing it? Is when you have that one component that's sort of like, that central feature point of your app and you just keep adding features and adding features and suddenly like you can't find anything in it because you tried to somehow keep features grouped together, but you know, across options, like that just stopped being an option. (laughs) Are you proud, Tessa? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm really enjoying how much you're enjoying your joke. Hey, someone's got to laugh. If that's me, whatever. Because like I've definitely had like the you know the sixteen hundred line component because features kept getting added on top of it, and it would have been really nice if I could have you know broken those out a bit, and so that you know each part that was pertaining to that one feature was its own thing. Oh yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think, you know, that's, that is a good example of not thinking about it in terms of reuse. It's just like, I, w- I just want to break this thing up. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's fantastic for that. Where, like, if you can have these different, you know, logical concerns of like maybe features, like, hey, we've got three features in this dang component. That's already too many for us. So let's go ahead and refactor these three features into their own composables. And then... You know, we can actually just say, oh, use feature one, use feature two, use feature three. And then when we have to come in and add more, we can just do those. I absolutely love that. And I love how you're thinking about it. This is prime example of how we should be thinking about using the Composition API. Yes, exactly. There's some kind of like bug or crab. I don't remember which that like its primary defense mechanism is it just keeps on collecting garbage and piling it on top of its own body. 
until it becomes bigger and bigger because it collects more and more garbage. And yeah, Ari's example before Composition API <laughs> reminded me of <laughs> In this analogy, are we trying to keep people out of our components? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. When I see a long component, I the first thing I do is close it out, and then and then I'll go back in after I take a walk or something. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say when you're, I would, I would imagine also when you're wanting to do composition APIs, when you reach that point when you're ready to like start doing stuff in composition API, that you don't have to necessarily be like, all right, let me go spin up another file and like go make a whole nother thing you can actually just like do it right there in your component file like you could just break all the logic out and be like okay really these parts are here and these parts are here and these parts are here and so you make three separate functions and then put them all inside of a component okay but alex some people feel really really strongly about having every tiny piece in its own file and its own folder those people should take a walk. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Put it in a folder with an index. Thanks. Oh, yes. That's the best. I mean, that's just a very normal paradigm in Vue, Ari. Our backend does that a lot. Oh, no. Wait, oh. not with the view. Not with the view stuff? No, no, no. But literally okay, okay. everything is like in its own file. And then that folder has an index where everything is imported and then exported. <laughs> yep. Why? Yep. Uh, but that does bring up another question that I feel like people might have because I do feel like a lot of times you are going to use the composition API in like its own file, right? So why should I go through the trouble of like learning how to use it and all the special syntax and stuff instead of just like making a JavaScript module? To be cool, like, obviously. Know how to do. <laughs> have you met me? <laughs> I have actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. And the answer that I'll give you is that regular JavaScript modules only get you so far. Because fundamentally, what these regular JavaScript modules are missing is the reactivity. And what the Composition API is letting us do is compose things that are reactive that we want you to react to you can extract regular helper functions out as much as you want. And like, that's cool, I guess. But <laughs> Vue's not going to react to that. You can then take it and use it in a Vue computed method or a, a, just a regular you know, Vue method. And just by virtue of using it somewhere where the other things are already reactive will make the results of that thing reactive. But your little helper function's not going to be reactive. And that's the huge kicker. <laughs> is that it's not reactive. And the moment when you say, oh, well, I'll just take my little JavaScript module and I'll use the reactivity API and I'll export functions where the things are reactive, well, you just made it composable. <laughs> like that's that's exactly what happened, right? And so and, and if that you know helps you think about it a little better, it's like, hey, yeah, I'm extracting out these functions to their own files to just make my code base cleaner, and I'm gonna sprinkle a little bit of reactivity API on top then yeah, <laughs> that's not a terrible way of thinking about it. But yeah, it's largely that, you know, regular plain JavaScript modules just don't have the reactivity. And that's what Vue is all about. That's what our app is all about. And we need that reactivity. So is there any reason that like somebody making like their own small hobby app would be likely to use, need to use the composition API as opposed to just like using it to try it out? Honestly, not really. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you're just making like a little hobby app and it's just you, you're the only dev and you have all of the knowledge of how everything works, you totally can just go straight pure options API and be happy. Had you used Composition API for some things, future you would be very happy because there's going to be that day you come back to the project and you're like, oh, I have a 3000 line view component and I don't know what's going on. And, you know, it's good if we can avoid that. So it's like, you don't have to, but, you know, a lot of what we're doing with the Composition API is not copying, pasting code, allowing others on our team to reuse, you know, code that we've already written. And if it's just you, if you want to be a good teammate for yourself, you know, you'll take a little bit of the effort to, you know, do a little bit of composition. But if you also just like clean code bases, <laughs> like it's, no, I like it's going to be messy. Nice. 
and I like it to be all my fault, and I like to punish future me. Well, speaking of punishment, at least that's how I've been living. What's like the longest component, view component specifically, that everyone has worked on? Oh, uh, I feel like something like six thousand lines. Six thousand components can get thick. All right. <laughs> like, and it's, it's fine. Like, yeah. And like it happens and like it's fine, but like <laughs> we gotta stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I feel know. like mine was like the 4,500 line range. Yeah. Yeah. See, I always. I wanna say 2,500 was my worst. I feel like when I reach a certain point, I go, okay, no, this is too big. And I break it down into smaller pieces. I can't. And I feel like that line is, depending on what I'm doing, is like a thousand lines or something like that. Like I, I have a really low tolerance for. Uh, I definitely hear you, but I have, you know, this concept with components, you know, too thick to quit. Like, <laughs> you got to just keep going. It's like, we've already come this far. All right. Like, is today the day we're refactoring this? Absolutely not. We're going to add this feature. We're going to keep oh moving. All right. So. Well, I think also you reaching that breaking point doesn't mean somebody else reached that breaking point, right? Like, am I going to leave a 4,500 line file, 4,500 lines? Maybe not. But I started there. <laughs> All right. So I got a spicy one. I got a spicy question. So we're talking about composition API and a big part of the composition API is the fact that it's, you know, you have a setup function. Have you done composition API and sprinkled in some JSX in there at all? I personally have not. <laughs> in like my lifetime of using JSX with Vue, I did it one time and, you know, it was fine. <laughs> but I, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't have a, a ton of experience with, with JSX in, in Vue. But if you have happy stories or horror stories, <laughs> I'd definitely love to hear it. I would also, as a pleb, love to hear the explanation for why exactly this question is so spicy. Well, because I know that some people here have some very strong feelings about JSX, but maybe. No, I've in playing with it, I've I've realized that you can, if you use define component to define a component, because in Vue 3, you can bring in a method, it's called define component. You can pass it an object and define your component in there. And it's very helpful for TypeScript because it does all the correct typing for you. But you can also pass it a function and write a composable inside of it and return a function that returns JSX. And that is your render function. And have it all self-contained within one function that is wrapped in a defined component. And that will render correctly. So like in playing with it, I'm like, I show that to people who come from React world, like the React land of things. I'm like, oh, well, you can write view like this. And they all go, really? Oh, that's so interesting. Why don't they just keep using React at that point? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> I also really appreciate Ari's face that she's making because I feel like Ari's approach is like, let's take the trash off the bug. And Alex is like, no, let's try the trash on. How terrible can I make this look before it really upsets people? <laughs> That's like the dumpster coming to like... So this reminds me of like... So I feel like there are two types of tidy people in the world. There's the type of tidy person that needs everything to be organized. And the, there's the type of tidy person who just doesn't want to see clutter. I feel like what you're describing is just shoving clutter into a closet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know me or something. I thought it would be more like, like the type of person that has like a cup on their desk and on top of the cup is a book and on top of the book is like their mouse and their pen holder and all of this stuff. And like, it looks messy, but you can't move any of it because they know where everything is. And once you move a pen, they're like, where is literally anything? Like, where are my glasses? And you're like, they're on your face, Alex. And he's like, what? <laughs> Yeah, no, this comes from uh, the fact that I am not a tidy person, but my husband is. But I know where everything is in my mess. But he just likes to not see mess. So I can never find anything now. So it just sounds like you're one of those people who likes to hide things from me. 
<laughs> oh no, 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 no. It's all out there in the open. And that's why it's beautiful. <laughs> oh, now, now I'm getting hives. You put all of your logic and your rendering all in one function and just bleh, right there. It's all there. You're good to go. But then you wrapped it it's, in another function. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like you, you definitely can. <laughs> like, it's definitely a thing that you can do. <laughs> and like, the thing is, I feel like for a lot, like just render functions in view in general, I think they have their purpose in libraries. Libraries, when you're trying to do something that's like very complex to do in a normal view template, like I have this view library called View Oxford. It's a library where you you get a view component called Oxford. You give it some children, and it will render them as a list, and it will place an Oxford comma at the appropriate. Yes. I was really hoping this had something to yes. do with commas. <laughs> yes. And like, yeah, and that's what you know this library does. And I implemented it using a render function because doing in template logic of like how many items do you have and like you know you can do it like you could straight up just write like four cases right then i was like actually it's kind of simpler as a render function which is why i did it like that but yeah it's like i just never want to see anyone write a render function in my app it's like i just don't want to see you do it like please like don't it's like we we've worked so hard to understand view and like okay template data all right that's what we've got right? like we're not trying to mix them right now just template and data and like i understand the want to do it like i was a react developer before i was a view developer and like when i first came to view i was like view is the lamest thing i've ever heard of are you kidding me i got it what year is it i gotta write a template are you kidding me <laughs> like was, that's definitely what my feeling was but after using view for a little bit i realized like ah actually you know what this does it makes me not make mistakes that's what it does i got a simple template and i got some data and so I think overall, like I would, instead of having a composable that returns, you know, a, like a render function, I would rather just see a little, little component that's a template that consumes one tiny consumable. <laughs> just because I feel like, you know, my team's going to understand that more. Like people are going to see it and understand what's going on. <laughs> I'm just imagining like, you know, going to like my team and putting up that PR that sets up <laughs> JSS for view and being like, all right, everybody, <laughs> we're going to start writing some JSS. <laughs> it's, it's already there. If I've you worked have on a teams project, that would it's, there. it's there by default. Yeah. I've been writing H like an idiot <laughs> this whole time. It's been set up already. I, I believe so. I believe it is a default that like you can just start writing JSX and it'll work absolutely bonkers i've been writing h all these years what the h so exactly. i'm guessing it's work that made you switch to view huh oh yeah i mean it, it was that and like view was some new hotness so i was definitely willing to give it a try and like yeah i think um, so i have lots of thoughts and feelings on like the whole react versus view debate like obviously they're both great frameworks but i think having gotten to use both for so long I really understand that like React appeals to that like inner nerd in you where you're just like, oh, this is so technical and so interesting and like, ah, oh, thinking in React. I have opinions about that. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's that. And like, you know, the sort of like the in factor, like I know how to think in React and they don't, you know, like there's, there's sort of that versus like a view really appeals to the, I'm really trying to get my job done. <laughs> okay. Like my product manager just came to me and was like, yo, we need this feature. And we told the customer they'd have it last week. <laughs> and like, oh, um, and, <laughs> and like view allows me to get that done. And like view's not trying to like make me feel good about myself when I write it. View's just trying to let me do it. Um, and I, I think that react React does make me feel good about myself. Because, like, when you get, like, you know, your hooks all working right and, like, it's optimized and, and everything, you're just like, oh, I'm not making too many closures during this render. Like, you get, like, really excited because it makes you feel smart. But, like, at the end of the day, it's like, we don't care about that. Actually, I need to ship features. And I think that's, like, the huge difference for me. Like, not that you can't ship features fast in React, but you got to think about this code. <laughs> like you, you don't have to think about the code that much. You have to think about what you're trying to deliver. And I think that's sort of like the shift for me. Mm, sounds like we might have to have you on for another, another episode. So you can 
let out all her thoughts. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so this, this is actually going to be by far the spice, the spiciest thing I have ever said in the almost two years of doing this show. There's stiff competition there. I know. So someone once asked me what I thought the difference was in, let's just say, toxicity level between React and Vue communities. And I firmly believe that it boils down to React is all about being clever. And the types of people who value being clever are not the type of people that work well with others. And Vue is about getting things done, as you said. And so that is why I think until now, the Vue community has been a little less toxic. However, I personally feel that with the introduction of the Composition API, there has been a shift in the Vue community, and I'm, I'm honestly not happy about it. Wow, Hot takes in this ball. corner. I wish I had a bell that I could ring. I've been holding that in for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, no, like, can we talk about that? Um, <laughs> On the next yeah, episode. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to do another one. All right, we'll, we'll hold that one. We'll hold that one. I have so many thoughts and feelings. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, speaking of thoughts and feelings, I've been reading a lot of AITA lately. And I read one where this woman bought her first house, but it was near her hometown where her parents still live. And she has to commute to the city. So she's like, I'll work in the city and stay with a friend three days a week. And then I'll stay in my home two days a week and the weekend. Perfect. She wanted to take her time unpacking everything, buying furniture, making sure everything is set up exactly the way she wants. Her lovely, generous, kind parents, as a favor, took her spare key and let themselves into the house, bought her furniture in like a very ornate antique style, unpacked all of her things and put them away on their own. And then the things that they felt like didn't go anywhere, they repacked into other boxes. <laughs> and your tiny story reminded me of that. And I was getting really stressed out. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, last question. What are some like big gotchas that people new to the composition API should watch out for? And like what is something really like mm, satisfying that you did with the composition API? <laughs> yeah, I mean I think overall, like the biggest gotcha, like by far the biggest gotcha with the composition API is not understanding views reactivity. That's going to be biggest gotcha that you can possibly run into. And so like I highly recommend, you know, instead of just trying to wing it, like just go look at a tutorial. I think it's just going to really help wrap your mind around how you thinks about reactivity and how your composables need to return reactive values and making sure that you're returning reactive values. I think that's going to be a huge thing. I think there's like some smaller gotchas where sometimes you're going to have like an object that you think all the properties are reactive, <laughs> but then you destructure it and then it's not reactive anymore. And it's like, ah, oh, I got to use two refs on this thing. Then, you know, that's going to be, that's definitely going to be like, you know, a gotcha. But I think as you understand the reactivity API a little bit better, you know, it's not going to trip you up at all. But yeah, I say go do a tutorial. You'll be much happier doing a tutorial than just trying to just, you know, wing it for sure. <laughs> nice. Coolest thing I've done with the Composition API. I don't think I'm that cool. <laughs> I mean, like the I disagree, you know, underlying. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, like you know, with you know underlying stuff. Like if we're just talking about like the Reactivity API, like the coolest thing I've done in the history of my life was I use Vue to write a backend <laughs> using the Reactivity API, where basically you had a, a link to that uh, talk will be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because I thought that was the coolest thing. Um, like just like having a reactive database where as you hit your database making changes, Vue's reactivity system could trigger effects and go off and like do things like hit AWS Lambda, send tweets. Like, you know, you can do so many interesting things because of Vue's reactivity uh, system. In terms of like composables, I don't know, make my app cleaner. <laughs> I think it's like the major thing that, uh, that I've gotten to do uh, with you know, composables. It's not about reducing the amount of clutter. It's about putting it into nice piles everywhere so that you can find it easier. Yeah, nice little piles of clutter. <laughs> 
Mm, I wish we had time to talk about, I can't think of the word, but like the the faction, let's say, for lack of a better word, of people pushing for like replacing Vuex with a composition API. But that's all the time we have for this week's episode. So, Oscar, if people want to ask you on their own, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Oscar underscore spin. That's S-P-E-N. Pretty easy to find me there on GitHub. Oh, Spencer. <laughs> I just open a random issue on one of my repositories, I guess. And I'll probably see it. <laughs> but those are going to be the best places you can find me. Nice. Yeah, that calls to mind uh, Eduardo, who I think GitHub is also the best way to reach him, if I remember correctly. Yeah, okay. And so now it's time to move on to this week's picks. Ari, would you like to go first? Sure. My pick this week is a Hulu original show, Only Murders in the Building. Incredible cast, um, just off the bat. Martin Short, Steve Martin, Selena Gomez, Sting. Not everyone's named Martin. That's a little disappointing. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sting even has um, an amazing cameo in it. (laughs) As him. Yeah. As himself. (laughs) And uh, he plays a not very likable version of himself, no less. And there's definitely uh, don't stand so close jokes in there. But yeah, just well-written, funny. Uh, I'm a huge Steve Martin fan, though. So if you don't like his style of comedy, you're probably going to hate it. And we should never talk in real life. Just FYI. But yeah, so that's my pick. What about on the podcast? No, I'm kidding. I don't have any strong opinions either way. <laughs> wow. Really, Tessa? <laughs> it was really nice having you. <laughs> I know he's a prolific writer, and I also have not read any of his books yet. <laughs> Okay, how about you, Alex? It looks like everybody is like murder <laughs> or something. So the pick I have this week is a game called The Artful Escape. It is the story of it's not fantastic, but the art in it is amazing. Artful? It is. Yeah, it would be pretty uh-huh. embarrassing if They're it was artful. bad. Oh, oh so <laughs> <I'm> good. <sorry. laughs> it's about a young man who is trying to live up to his uncle's reputation of being a famous folk singer white guy surprisingly and he wants to be a psychedelic guitar rock star and it's him going on a interstellar adventure trying to find himself so yeah it's not the best story but the art in it is really good is it a board game i just realized i assume because it's your pick as a board game it doesn't sound like one no it's a video game it is it is a video game nice oh and also listeners you should all be very proud. Alex picked this one all by himself. I did. My you wife know. did not help me at all with this one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Oscar, what are your picks for the week? Yeah. My pick is going to be this game that's relatively new called Dyson Sphere Program. And so for those of you out there who are big fans of Factorio, it's it's a complete rip of Factorio. I'm not going to lie. It's a complete rip of Factorio, but basically with stellar, amazing graphics. And that whole thing about, you know, planets, I, a lot of people complain like, ah, well, when I beat Factorio, you know, and I leave the planet, I don't go anywhere. Spoilers. In Dyson Sphere Program, it's all about planets. You basically create factories on different planets, and it's super duper cool. And it is a complete rip of Factorio. <laughs> I'm not going to say that it's not. Uh, but I think everyone should play it because it's got gorgeous graphics and, you know, nothing like doing stuff that's similar to your day job when you're not working. <laughs> yeah. Like when Ben talked to me about it, oh my God, I was like, that sounds like work. No, thank you. So that's good to know. <laughs> Yeah, and this is this is my first time realizing it's a game. When I first saw people mention it on Twitter, I was like, oh, it must be like their new vacuum or something. Like they have that orb one and like they have their fans. <laughs> and then when they were talking about it a bit more, I was like, okay, I guess Dyson is also getting into space program. <laughs> so I had no clue what it was until today. That's awesome. Yeah. So I guess that just leaves my picks. I said I would pick the great Ace Attorney Chronicles until I started playing it. I started playing it. I only played through like the intro thing where the character goes to court and then I didn't play any of the court cases, but I started. So very proud of myself. That was Alex golf clapping. Loyal listeners will also know that I've been having a lot of trouble with like little flying demons this summer. And so I've tried a lot of different things. I've also learned speaking of two types of tidiness, there's people that 
will be okay with the flytrap, even though it's hideous, because you're addressing the problem, and then people who would rather just live with the problem so you don't have to look at a flytrap. I'm definitely not the latter. So of the flytraps I've seen and tried, I just opened this one. It seems to be okay so far. It's the Tarot Fly Magnet Super Fly Roll. It's just a long strip. It does the same thing with the like fake flies on it. I don't know why they all do that, but it has a giant hot pink strip in the middle, and so I think that distracts me from being like, oh, there's fly pictures on there. And it's like not sticky on all sides. So I don't have to worry about it getting stuck on my wall or anything like that. So that's great. And then this is not at all related to the flies. I was just thinking about this audiobook I listened to a few years ago called Tiny Beautiful Things, which again, flies are not. It's a compilation of advice, letters and replies from Cheryl Strayed of wild fame when she was working as an advice columnist called Sugar. And it's just like a very... It's a very cozy book. Like it's just very uh, gentle and comforting. So if you want to read something like that, then maybe check this out. And the audiobook has like a very soothing narrator. I think it's Cheryl herself. Yeah. And that's all for this week's episode. If you aren't following us on Twitter, you probably know by now where to find us at Enjoy the Viewcast. So go there and hit the follow button. If I'm remembering correctly, if the button is black, that means you're not following us. So hit it. And if it's white, it means you are following us. Unless you're in dark mode. Well, if it's, oh, yeah. if it's filled in, right, then you're not following us. So if, if there's a fill color, yeah. if there's no fill color, you're good. Don't hit the button or hit it twice. Either way. This is getting too complicated. Also, subscribe to us if you're not already on your podcatcher of choice. And if you have time and you like us, Leave a good review. And finally, share at least one thing you enjoyed about the show, either on Twitter, to your followers, to Gloomy Loomy, or to your friends and colleagues in real life. Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. Bye.